Morning, everybody. NFL Jersey Sunday. I feel the spirit moving over here. I don't know what I feel moving over here. <laughs> I told you they'd come out in force. Anyway, uh, today is Lose Your Mind. The song says it that way. It says, life in the fast lane will surely make you... Thank you. Okay, a couple of you knew it. Lose your mind. So um, on the back of your bulletin and probably on the screen behind me is a bit.ly link. This is really important. Go to the bit.ly, register your team, your name, and the jersey that you're wearing because there's a really, really, really cool team prize. And the team that wins um, gets this awesome prize. But in addition to that, every name from the winning team goes into the hopper, so to speak. We're going to pull out somebody who's going to win an additional kind of uh, cool prize. So you want to go to uh, you want to go to that bit link. I am wearing Andre Collins' jersey. Andre usually sits in that section. That's why this is the Redskins section. Andre was a linebacker with the with the Redskins, and he won the '91 Super Bowl, almost our perfect season. So it's a, so this is authentic. Andre Collins, Jersey. Okay, so go to that. You want to register and um, may the best team win. We know who God wants to win, but... uh... (laughs) All right, we've been uh, reading uh, Philippians chapter 4, everybody. This incredible passage. Uh, It's... I had said in the beginning, uh, in Kindle, all the books that are on Kindle, this is the most highlighted book in Kindle, the Bible. The Bible is the most highlighted book all of Kendall, and the most highlighted section of the most highlighted book is this, what we're going to read right here, Philippians chapter 4. So let's read it. Um, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you'll be able to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds, your minds. In Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters. Okay, so what he's getting ready to get into, I'm going to stop right here because this is the verse we're studying, right? He says one final thing. When he says one final thing, those words mean this is the summation of everything he has to say about anxiety, but not just anxiety. What he has said about everything in the book of Philippians and what he has said in here is to live as Christ. So he's really talking about our relationship with Christ. So it's extending. Here's what I need you to hear. It's extending beyond anxiety and stress and getting into our very belief in Christ and living following after Christ. So it's big. It's big. It's a big thing. It's a summation here. So one final thing. And then he says it, and this is really important. This is what we're going to focus, focus, focus on today. Fix your thoughts. Very interesting word that he uses for fix. Fix your thoughts on what? On what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting them into practice. All you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, then, what's going to happen if we do that? Then the God of peace will be with you. What we have said in this series is we, in the United States of America, we lead the world in anxiety and stress. It is a fact. We lead the entire world. So we are swimming in stress in this nation. And Washington, D.C., just by its very nature, everybody, the stress of this city and the many type A personalities of this city is that we are at the deep end of the stress pool. So this is a really, is a really big deal. But there is something we can do. You're, we're not like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Yes, there is something we can do. We can calm down. So we've gone through this word calm, right? So quick review in the end. C stood for celebrate. That was our first week of this series. It's very important. 
And I challenge you in that first week, please rejoice. Please celebrate something this week, right? Because people who are grateful people, people who are celebratory people, people who are thankful people are shown to be far more happier and healthier and calmer. Anxiety diminishes. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It says laughter is good medicine. It actually brings healing to us. So why do we do? You're here today. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're coming to while. I say, why in the world are you doing NFL Jersey Sunday? What, why would you do that? Or why a few weeks ago when you kicked the series off, did you do cars and the cookout and you played this Uno game? And why, why would you do this kind of stuff? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength and laughter is good medicine. And when we celebrate and we rejoice and we have fun and we laugh and we play, it reduces our anxiety and it strengthens us spiritually. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Victor Frankl in his great book, said that the one defense, right? You're talking about a guy who lived through the Holocaust. The one defense that we have against the problems of life, the one, the best defense we have against the problems of life is laughter and joy. This is important. I hope that you're celebrating. I hope that you're saying when you have it, when you've got something going on, you have, okay, I can either choose to be thankful or grateful, or I can choose to be sour and suck on a lemon. I hope in that you're choosing the other path because the other path is the way to not only spiritual growth, but do anxiety reduction. That's celebrate. All right. A, ask. That's about prayer. Ask about everything. Right. Ask for everything. Be anxious. Not only ask about everything. It's about prayer. Jesus was anxious. Jesus was very anxious. Jesus was so anxious, we're told that the capillaries in his face burst and blood streamed down his cheeks. That's how anxious Jesus Christ was. Have you ever been that anxious before? Jesus was very, very anxious. And what did Jesus do? He prayed. He prayed in the garden the night that he was betrayed when his capillaries broke. He got down on his knees and he prayed and he asked others to pray for him. Ask. L, leave. We have to leave stuff behind. (laughs) We're inflicting anxiety on ourselves by overpacked schedules. Jesus said it multiple times to people. Hey, whoa, slow down. You need to leave some stuff behind. And one time his disciples said, but look at all the opportunity we have. He's like, no, no, we got to leave some stuff behind. So you're going to have to say no to some things on your schedule. You're going to have to make a not to-do list. Quit inflicting anxiety on yourself. And now we get to the end which is the word meditate. That's the M, to meditate. We need to think about our minds. Lose your mind. Finally, he's summing everything up. Now, here's one thing. Because, because in our culture, in our society, we, there's a lot of talk sometimes about meditation. And when we think about meditation, a lot of times we think about the Eastern idea of meditation, which is to empty your mind, empty your mind. Biblical meditation is actually to fill your mind. So it's the exact opposite. But what are you filling your mind with? Well, he gives us all these things to fill our minds with. And when you think about it, it's our minds that run our lives. That's exactly what the Bible says, Proverbs 4.23. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. So what are we filling our minds with? The first thing he says, you've got to fill your minds with what is true. What is true? What exactly is true? A lot of times we get anxious over lots and lots of things, and we need to go back because the truth will set us free. And th- Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is true? I'm talking to my mother-in-law a few weeks ago, and she's telling me, oh, man, the world is so um, unsafe, and there's so many problems in the world. And you know, here she is. She's lived a lot of years, okay? She lived a lot of years. Like, wasn't that way when I was a kid? You know, things were so much better when I was a kid. Statistically, that is not true. Is not true. We hear about all the problems because we have 24-7 news, right? But statistically speaking, we are far safer and healthier than we've ever been. Far, and I told that to her. I says, do you realize that we are far safer and healthier than we ever? When you were a kid, mother-in-law, when you were a kid, things were much worse. Things are much better now. It's like, what? Right. But that's the truth. 
So we have to focus on the truth. I'm getting on a, I'm getting on a plane tonight. I'm going to a meeting in Atlanta. And I know many of us, we, we travel, a lot of you, I don't travel often, but I know some of you travel all the time. You're on planes. And we think about, you know, I've been in airports before and we think about, you know, infectious disease and stuff. And there's a, a group that just did an infectious disease study on airports specifically and planes and things like that. And we worry. And sometimes we see people with masks on and stuff like, okay, right? And we worry about well, where, is, where is it safe? You know, crowded planes, crowded airport waiting rooms and dirty, dirty bathrooms, terrible, you know, and we're worried about what's so you don't need to worry about this stuff because the infectious disease people said, you know, the, the it's not the waiting rooms and it's not the planes. So, so put at ease, nothing. What you need to worry about is the plastic bins that the security that you put, like you pull out your, your, your cell phone and you just throw it there in that plastic bin. They said it's dirtier than the dirtiest toilet in an airport. Dirty. So, so if you want to worry about something, worry about that because you throw it. You throw it in the bin and then you cuddle up to it next to your ear and you talk to your significant other and oh, I love you. You know, as your kid, when you're kissing your phone. When you're kissing your phone, okay, just think about it. You're kissing the worst toilet in the world, all right? That's, that's what happens. So you want to worry about that? Worry about that. Worry about things like that. Um, this past summer, we, we went to Hawaii. I'll tell you the reason we went to Hawaii. Well, first of all, it's my daughter's graduation gift from, from high school. She wanted to do an adventure vacation. But um, we have friends that live in Hawaii. Actually, we have... Uh, 22, 23 friends living in Hawaii right now, all from Grace Community Church. There's like 20, 22 people from Grace Community Church all living on the island of Oahu. And I say this all the time. Grace, and I, people tell me this all. I'm not the only one saying it. People say, my gosh, the greatest people in this city go to Grace Community Church. And I've got to tell you that it's true. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people in this church. And one of the saddest things that ever happens to me is when I have to say goodbye. And I say goodbye all the time to fantastic people. And let me say this. Let me say this. If you're going to leave, if you're going to be transferred, if you could at least be transferred to Hawaii, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's all right. I mean, it's bad, but it, 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 at least it's going to be okay. So we go out there because, you know, we, we had a free place to stay. So we began our stay at Hickam Air Force Base, you know, in this really cool house with some friends that are living out there. And we ended it with them again at Bellows Air Force Base, like the most beautiful beach on the entire... Who knew the Air Force owned the most beautiful beach on Oahu? It was phenomenal. We had a great time. And so my daughter really wanted to adventure stuff. So um, one day we actually splurged and uh, we hired a guide. And we wanted to do the turtles and the sea caves and swim with the dolphins. Not in a pool, but like out in the wild, okay? And so he's taken us to swim with the dolphins. And uh, we're at this place called Electric Beach. And he has this big stand-up paddleboard that he inflates. You can get like 20 people on it. He puts a little motor on it. And it's just the four of us. And he zips us out there. And sure enough, the dolphins went away. And so we came back. And he's chasing them up and down. We're driving in a car, going up and down the beach. And he happened at one point. He said, you see that beach over there? See how there's nobody in the water? I said, yes, I see that there's nobody in the water. He said, that's because a 14-foot tiger shark. Um, you know, was spotted. So everybody's out of the water. I said, yeah, it makes sense. That's a good idea. And so we zip up and down the beach. We come back right next to the beach where he saw the tiger shark. We're back at Electric Beach now. And he says, there's the dolphins. We said, good. He says, look, it's going to take me too much time to inflate this thing. Let's just hop on the regular paddle boards and go right out to them. They're only about 100 yards offshore. Great idea. So let's do it. So we hop on and we start going. Well, the wind is blowing like crazy now. And 100 yards turns into 1,000 yards overnight. And we're out there and we're trying to turn around. There's a bunch of us on just two boards. And you can't do that. You can't have one person land and one person. It just doesn't work. So we couldn't fight it. And so the only thing I could do was get off my board. And my daughter, who was on the board with the guide, she got off. And my daughter and I swam back. 
at least a thousand yards. Took us over an hour to swim back. And the water was so crystal clear. Oh my gosh, it was the clearest water I've ever seen before. And I couldn't see the bottom. It was at least 50 feet deep. And what am I thinking? Because there's nobody around us. There's nobody around. Everybody's gone. It's just her and I, and we're in the middle. Now, what am I thinking, huh? See, I grew up, I grew up when I was a little kid. I watched that movie Jaws when I was too early, and it, 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 traumatized, it traumatized me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, there's a 14-foot tiger shark, at the, and I can see the beach from where I'm standing. And so anxiety, you understand? You know what I'm saying? Anxiety and stress, you're just filling my mind. So what did I do? How was I going to calm myself down knowing that we're going to be doing this series coming up just a few months later? Here's what I did. I just pummeled my brain with truth. You know what I said? I knew the statistics on shark attacks. I am far more likely to be hit by an asteroid than I am to be struck by that 14-foot tiger shark. I knew that to be true. And look, I, you know, the last asteroid that hit down near me was like 100 feet away. So it's just, right? So, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to happen. I'm far, far more likely to be hit by lightning than that tiger shark attacking me. It's just not going to happen. And you know what the guide right before we went out, you know what he told us? He said far more people die in the world from taking selfies than being attacked by sharks. I, I, like, you're like a hundred times more chance of dying from a selfie than being attacked by a shark. I don't even take selfies. So there's no way. Like if the shark rolled up, I would just say, I don't take selfies. You can't. <laughs> what I had to deal with, I had to deal with the truth. I had to think, 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 think about the truth. Now he says some other things. Okay. So think about what's true. That's a true way to lower your anxiety, right? Think about what's true. Don't be worried about the crowded plane or the waiting room. Just worry about that plastic bin. That's all you got to do. All right. Then he says honorable. What's honorable? There's things that are dignified. Think about things that are dignified. They're worthy of respect. Fill your mind with those things. Things that are right. What does right mean? Right in Scripture means righteous. You know what righteous means? doesn't mean you're a goody two-shoe, Right? What it means is, is you're in right relationship with God and other people. That's what righteous means in Scripture. You can't just be right with people, and you can't just be right with God. To be righteous or right in Scripture is to be right with God and people. God and people simultaneously. Things that are pure. That's just stuff that's morally clean. Lovely. You know what the word lovely there means? It means gracious and patient thoughts. Think patience. I want you to think about that. I read a report this past week that... Washington, D.C. is third worst drivers in the United States of America. Third worst, third worst, third worst. I see some heads. Okay. Think lovely thoughts. <laughs> lovely thoughts. Gracious, patient thoughts. And then finally says admirable things. So what's admirable? Admirable is, the admirable is what lifts others up. Right? These type of thoughts, we fill our minds with this, these type of thoughts are proven to reduce anxiety. So this is what the Bible is saying to us. This is what research is saying to us, that we fill our minds with things. So the next time you have negative thoughts, you have negative thoughts about yourself. Oh man, you know, I'm going to lose this or this isn't going to go well or they're not going to like me or I'm such a loser or whatever, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan and everybody hates me. You know, Okay, I, what, whatever those thoughts are, or maybe, you think, or, or maybe you think that about other people, or you think that about the world around you, stop the negative thoughts. Stop the negative thoughts. And instead, fill your mind with the thoughts that we're being challenged here to fill our minds with, and it'll reduce our anxiety. This is what we're being challenged to do. This is what is important, okay? Oh, 
uh, I notice, uh, well, you ever had somebody honk at you? Yeah, uh, not in a good way. I mean, some of you have had people, hey, good looking. Uh, uh, right. Some of you have had that. I've never had that. I have had people, er, you know, idiot, you know, whatever. So I was going home one night, and all the, all the electricity was out, so the lights weren't working near my house at a major traffic intersection. Like, not, they weren't flashing. They were just out, out. And everybody was stopping nicely, nicely and taking their turn, going across. And so when my turn came, I went across. Well, a guy coming in the opposite way, he wasn't Mr. Nice Guy. And he comes through not even slowing down. I guess he didn't even look at the light and just laying on the horn. I was amazed at how quickly I reacted to that horn. I, I was ready to turn the car around. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And I remembered I was a pastor. I can't do that. Right? I can't do that. So I, was, I, so I was watching a video just a couple weeks. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about the honking incident. And, and there was a person, and they were in their car, and they were going to get some coffee at a drive-thru, right? They're at a coffee place going through, and their child was with them in the back seat. And if you have a child, a young child, and they're like particularly attached to some toy that they have or whatever it might be, you know what it's like when that kid loses it, when they kind of lose their in the car seat and they lose the toy and they just melt down. Is any parent ever? Oh, my gosh. You're re- you are ready to lose your mind at that point, right? It's unbelievable. And so the kid does that, and they're down. They're digging under the seat, trying to grab it in the seat at the whole time. You know, I'm doing all this stuff. And the person behind them, move the car, you idiot. Okay. And so this person said their immediate reaction, oh, man. You know, and they wanted, to, they wanted to put it in reverse and ram them and all these things they wanted to do. But you know what they chose to do? They said, you know what? They began to think. They said, you know what? I've had a bad day. I bet they're having a bad day. I've been through bad stuff. I bet they've been through bad stuff. So when they got up to get their coffee, they said, "Uh, what did that person behind me order? They told them, okay, I'm paying for all of it. Okay, here it is. And as they told the story, you could see the stress leave their face. It was an amazing thing. So what I'm saying here is the challenge from, from the Bible is, is to think and fill our minds with those lovely, admirable, true, good thoughts. It's a It's reduction in our anxiety levels. This is what we're being called to do. Now, all of my reading for this series, whether it's been in the Bible or it's been in secular books or it's it's been in Christian books, they all say the same thing. Everything starts with our mind. Our beliefs precede our behaviors. And if your goal is to lower your anxiety levels, then it has to begin with your mind and it has to begin with your thoughts. So I want to drill down in the next few moments if I can. I want to talk about this word meditate. The word fix that we have in our scripture, which means to meditate. I want to talk about that because it encompasses lots of things. And as I do, I'm not only want to talk about how that affects our anxiety and stress levels. I want to talk about how that affects our understanding of God and what it means to grow in Christ. Because all of that, when he says one final thing, I want to summarize a life in Christ which a life in Christ deals with our anxiety levels, but it also deals so much more. So that's what I'm going to do. So the word fix in Greek means this, to fix your thoughts. The word, that word, that specific word is the same word we get logic from. Logic, right? It's an accounting term. means do the numbers add up? Does it make sense? It is it proven to be true? Is one plus one equal two? Does it? It works. So what we're being challenged to do here is to fix our thoughts on what works, what is logical. So we're told in John 1 that Jesus Christ is the logos that's come down out of heaven, which means he is the logic from God, that Christ is practical. Often we think of Jesus in very mystical terms. But what this is challenging us to think about 
is that Christ, Christ is primarily practical, logical, come down out of heaven. So I want us to, through that lens, through that word, through Jesus is the logos, Jesus is the logic come down from God to fix our thoughts on what is logical and what is proven, I want us to consider a couple of things. And as a lead into that, I want to say this. If following Jesus Christ is anything, it is a movement of thinking. If following Jesus Christ is anything, it is a movement of thinking. Romans chapter 10, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? It says, faith comes from hearing the message. What's the implication? Faith comes from thought, from thinking, from thinking deeply about something. Jesus says it himself in Matthew 13. Famous parable of Jesus. Very, very famous about the parable of the seed. And the person is the soil, and the seed is the message of Jesus Christ, which we call the gospel, the message of Christ, and it goes into the soil. Look, look at the person who produces fruit, who grows, who thrives spiritually in their relationship. What is the person that does that? Is it amazing? Here's what it says, Jesus speaking. But what is the seed that fell on the good ground? That's us, we're the ground, okay? What is the seed that fell on the good ground? That seed is like the person who hears the teaching and they do what? They understand it, which means they've really, really, really thought about it. Like, oh, yes, this makes sense. It's a movement of deep thought. That person grows and produces fruit, sometimes 100 times more, sometimes 60, sometimes 30 times more. Those who grow spiritually, everybody, are the ones who have deeply thought and they've deeply understood. It's why the psalmist says, give me understanding. Romans 12. We're going to base the whole next series, This Is Us, on Romans chapter 12, okay? It's the basis is Romans 12. You want to start reading it now? It's great. It's a very, very important book in, in the Bible, Romans. And the chapter 12, very, very important. And this is what it says. It says, we should be transformed, changed, by the entire renewal of our minds, by its new ideals and its new attitudes that you may prove, 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 for yourself, what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Following Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is a movement that involves thinking. It's practical and it's proven. Now, I said a few weeks ago I've been reading, rereading uh, Viktor Frankl's book, uh, The Meaning of Life, right? And he has this quote. He quotes, quotes Nietzsche often in the book, more than anybody else, and he says this same quote over and over and over and over again. I love the quote, and the why is really important. Here's what he says. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Now, you were talking about Viktor Frankl, who experienced the Holocaust and all the horrors that went along with that. And he noticed this in himself and in other people. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. So here's, here's the thing I want to say. Why do you believe? Or why would you believe? Why would you believe? Because you're here, and maybe you've been in church all your life, like me, birthed on a pew somewhere. All my life. And what I hear people say and what I am tempted to say is this. I hear people say this. People who are like me who have been in church all their life. Well, there was never a point of belief. I just always have believed. This is not good. This is not good. Right? There are no grandchildren in the Bible. Right? Belief is something that we come to because we've thought about it. It's not like we're riding the coattails of our parents and our grandparents who have believed it. We have to think it through ourselves. That's what belief is. That's what belief is. So I want to encourage you. If you're just saying, hey, I'm here because this is what I've always done, that's cultural Christianity. That's not transformative Christianity. Transformative Christianity, what Jesus says here, is the person who understands it. They've thought about it, and that seed, because it's proven and it's practical and it's logical, has taken root in their heart and their soul and has birthed fruit, a thriving relationship with Christ. 
I'm going to challenge you with that. For those of you here and you've never been to church before, or you've been coming for a while and checking, checking this out, saying, what is this, you know, what is this all about? I also want to challenge you because many times we look at it as very mystical. Oh, I've got a, all this and this, and what about this? And all, okay, okay. The bottom line of Christianity here is, is it practical and is it proven? What is Christianity really, really all about more than anything else? And I want to read a verse of Scripture to you, okay? Because if we follow Christ, what is being said here in our primary passage of Philippians 4 is, is that it brings us deep peace and real meaning to our life. Deep peace and real meaning because of a belief that we have thought through. So Romans 8. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. I want to unpack that. Letting your sinful nature. The word sin is a very toxic kind of inflammatory word. Can I just, here's what it means in Scripture. It means to be self-centered. So let's reinterpret because this is, what, this is what it means all through Scripture and particularly in the book of Romans for sure. So letting selfish, self-centered thoughts control you leads to death. Is that true or not? Right. Selfish people, selfish, self-centered people break every relationship that they're in. That's just what happens. That's why we struggle with relationships. Self-centered people break things all around them, right? It's a dead end to live that way. But what does it mean to live by the Spirit? Live by the Spirit is somebody who is selfless. Does that lead to life and peace and meaning? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, that's what happens. So is that proven to be true? So I really want to encourage you to think about this in a very practical, logical way. Does it add up? The Apostle Paul, right, who is writing Philippians, says this in another one of his writings. I boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. What is the cross of Christ, everybody? Why is the cross the center? It's the most recognized symbol on the face of the planet. Obviously, it's the symbol of Christianity. What is the cross of Christ? It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. The cross is nothing else but sacrificial love, selfless living. Is that the road? Is that the pathway for us to life and peace? Is it the pathway? Well, we're starting a series uh, called This Is Us next week. People have asked, do I have to watch the series? No, you do not. Absolutely not. Don't go and binge watch it. It's okay. Sorry. It's very creative. Very creative done. But you don't have to watch it. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to show you clips. But the way I'm going to show you clips, I'm going to say in just a minute, because we're not going to be able to show you clips in here because there's legal reasons why. All right? But I want to give you an overview in the clip that's coming this weekend to prepare you because you've never seen it before. And I want to give you an overview of what it's all about. And so right now, just real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to it a little bit because this is really about a hero. And the hero in this story, his name is Jack Pearson, and he's a father of a family. His wife's name is Rebecca, and they have Kevin, Kate, and Randall. And his wife actually says, my husband is a superhero. Any husbands in the room would love to hear their wives say, man, you are a superhero. Anybody would love to hear, don't have to raise your hands, okay. <laughs> I know exactly what every husband in the room is thinking right now. Yes, I would love to be called a superhero. Why is he a super? Why is he the hero of the story? Why, everybody, does he make such a big impact? He makes it. And what I'll send out in the clip this week is people are commenting, right? These people who are doing the clip, there's actually a clip and people giving commentary. You know what they say? The reason everybody loves Jack Pearson is he's selfless and he lays down his life for his family. Lays down his life. Lays down his life. That's almost like scripture. 
You know, in theology class, I went through all kinds of theology class. We talk about people in Scripture as if uh, a type of Christ is what we call it. When they do things that are Christ-like, which means being selfless, which means laying down your life so somebody else can go free. And here you find, you find and if you watch this here, you'll find what Jack actually does is he lays down his life for his family. And he runs, well, I don't want to give it all away, but he, he, he lays down his life. He sacrifices his life in selflessness. And does that, work? does that work? We see it in his relationship with his kids big time, and he makes a huge impact on his kids. His, he adopts a son. It's a white family, African-American son named Randall. Adopts him. Randall was left at a fire station. And Randall is always questioning his identity. And you'll never forget the scene where he looks at his son Randall and says, you weren't a choice, you were a fact. You were my boy from the moment I saw you. Helping it. And, 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 and the impact of love that he had on that son is amazing. His daughter, Kate, who has a serious eating addiction, always wanted to sing. And he would like to videotape her. And that scene where he's videotaping her and she, would, she lashes out at him. She's angry because she doesn't want to see herself on videotape because she feels so bad about herself. And she yells, don't ever do it again. Stop it. And the sadness in that father who sees a princess and his daughter. He says, okay. And she comes back to him later in the episode and says, please never stop seeing in me what you see. That's moving, everybody. That's Christ-like, everybody. Because Jesus Christ sees something in you and in me that only he can see. It's powerful. And finally, how about Kevin, the oldest, the firstborn? This kid is a superstar stud athlete from the day he was born, right? He's going to play at Notre Dame. It's a big, it's a big football uh, series, if you want to know. Steelers fans. Are any Steelers fans in the house? Okay, it's a big Steelers movie. I mean, series. Superstar stud athlete gets hurt. So he's not going to be the superstar stud quarterback anymore. And so he just simply goes into acting and becomes a superstar, incredible stud actor, right? He's a big-time celebrity. And he's getting ready to, he's going from TV series, which is a comedy, to doing his own serious play, a serious play. It's his big moment. It's a big moment for him. He's going to step into the spotlight. He's going to prove it to people that he has quality as an actor. And he's very, very nervous so he goes see his best, his father's best friend, Miguel. He's like, I'm really nervous. And now Kevin doesn't like Miguel because he's, he's his stepdad. Miguel says, you know what? When I'm nervous, all I say to myself is, what would Jack do? Jack Pearson, the father, what would he do? And that's what he tells himself all day. And when it comes time for him to step into the spotlight and for them to raise the curtain, Instead of him being there and stepping into his own personal greatness, to his own personal greatness, he runs out of the theater and down to Wall Street where his brother Randall, who he's never really liked, to his brother Randall who's having a panic attack and melting down. And is that in that first moment of selflessness, do you see the greatness beginning to glimpse on Kevin? So here's my question. This is Jesus. This is the core of Christianity. This is what it's all about. Does it work? Do the numbers add up? Why would you believe? And I want to challenge you. The reason you would believe in Jesus Christ 
because it's proven to be practically true and it works and it touches our hearts and it brings peace and it brings meaning and it brings joy and it's tremendously significant, tremendously significant. So if you want to follow the clips, just real quick, it's on the screen behind me. It's on your bulletin, okay? You can follow me. I'm going to send a text out once a week. I'll send it out this week coming up. It'll have the clip that you could prepare for. I'm going to talk about it, but it will make your situation much more richer. There's the steps for you. Step one, just text the word us to 84576. You're going to get a reply text. Just click the link. It'll take you. Put your name, first name, last name, and then, uh, yeah, first name, last name, email, and then just click save. That's it. It's going to take you another page. You're not interested in the other page. You do just the steps that you see right there. Okay, finally, to close this out, why are you here? These why questions are really important. Why would you believe? Why are you here? You're here because you want to be closer to God. The numbers are astounding on this. It's almost 100%. When they poll people, people who go to church and people who don't go to church, and they say, why in the world are you in church or why in the world would you consider going to church or why did you visit today? The clear number one answer, almost at 100%, is because I want to get closer to God. I want to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be, and I want God to help me. Or, or I don't even know if I believe in a God, but I'm open to the idea that God might exist, and I want to be the best version of myself that I could possibly be in Christ. That's what I want to do. So I'm just open. I just want, I want to grow. I want to be the best version, right? So I want to... I want to, in a way, be like a spiritual champion. I want to thrive spiritually. So I want you to think, not mystically, but practically, how does any person grow? How does growth happen to any person? Growth happens through diversity, not uniformity. Through diversity, not uniformity. What you find in the scriptures is Jesus says to his followers right before he leaves this earth, he leaves this earth, he says, I need you to leave Jerusalem. I need you to leave the hot tub of of Jerusalem where everybody believes like you and behaves like I need you to get out of that hot tub and I need you to go to all the world, into a diverse world because Jesus was so famous for this. When he would walk into a town all throughout there, he wouldn't find the people who believe like him, behave like them and say, hey, you know, I love you. Let's just all hang out and have a big love fest about how we all like. No, no, he would find people so diverse, so different. And he would say, I love you. Let's talk saying he condone everything they would do. Absolutely not. But there was a diversity because in that friction of diversity, there is growth. We're thinking about football today, right? A team of all quarterbacks does not win a Super Bowl. Amen? Amen. Right. A team of all linebackers won't win either. You have to have all kinds of people. And so you need that friction and you need that diversity. And we as human beings are just drawn. We're very tribal by nature. We talk about this. We're a church for people who go to church. And I don't have time to explain that now. If you want to come next step lunch today, we'd love to have you. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. I'll unpack all of that. But basically it means we're a church of people. We're a church of all kinds of people, very diverse. And in that, there's a, there's a dynamic that's amazing. It's a recipe for growth. I'll tell you what a recipe is to slide backwards on spiritual growth. is just get around everybody who believes and behaves like you. Where there's no friction, there's no challenge. If something doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. Nothing good comes from comfort. And we have a desire as human beings, we're drawn to what's comfortable. They were drawn in Jerusalem. It's comfortable here. It's comfortable. We feel special in this hot tub, loving on each other together. And Jesus comes along, throws a bunch of ice in their hot tub and says, get out and go. Get out and go. Because we need diversity. Growth happens through diversity, not uniformity. Uniformity is a recipe for disaster. Last point. Jesus says something very important in Matthew 16. I want to close with this because we're thinking about groups. 
We're thinking about spiritual growth. You're here because you want to grow spiritually. How are you going to grow spiritually? How is that going to happen? The vast majority of Americans, the vast majority of church-going Americans say this. I don't need anybody. I don't need the church, and I don't need friends. I don't need anybody. I just need me and God, me and God, me and God. Boom. We're going we're gonna to thrive. We're going to do great. Well, look what Jesus Christ says here. He says, I will build my church. The word church is a gathering of people. It's a team. Here's what you need to hear. God is not doing anything in my life. Nothing. He's doing nothing in my life, and he's doing nothing in your life. Jesus only has one great big building project going on on this entire planet. Just one, not two, not three, not four, just one. And that is the church, a team, a group of people. God is building in us. You can't grow without a team of people. You need a team of people around you to grow with. You need a church, a gathering. You need an us to do it. If you want to grow spiritually and be the best version of yourself that you possibly can be, you need a church. You need a family. You need an us to do it. I'm reading uh, a book right now by Doug Peterson. He's the coach of the Eagles. Any Eagles fans in the house? Okay. We had one in the first service too. He's got a great quote. He's got a great quote in his book. Okay. And he includes this quote because Carson, Carson Wentz is all-star stud quarterback on the team got injured last year and everybody thought it's over and then lo and behold they go on to win the Super Bowl and when Wentz went down his son apparently was in the basement of their house and there's a picture on the wall and it has this quote in it I'm about ready to give you and he sent the quote to his dad because he knew he knew his dad was like oh my gosh I can't believe this has happened we're headed towards greatness and now we've lost our superstar here's the quote An individual can make a difference. A team can make a miracle. An individual can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can make a difference, but a team can make a miracle. I don't know about you, but I'd like God to do miracles in my life. And it's never going to happen with just me and God. It's only going to happen within us. That's why we encourage you to get in a group. That's why we encourage you to be a part of the family here. Because God is only doing miracles through the team, through us. Last thought. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you just said, you know what? I've believed because I've always believed. I want to challenge you to think this thing through. Does it add up? Is it practical and is it true? Are you really receiving Christ because he's the very essence and logic of life? And if you've never made that decision, that commitment... Do so simply because Jesus Christ is the logic that has come down out of heaven about the way life works. It leads to meaning, significance, peace. It's powerful. You're here today. You've never grown up in church. You've hardly ever been to church. Maybe today's your first time being here. And you want to know, why should I believe this? What is this all about? Believe it because it's true. Believe it because it makes sense. Believe it because the numbers add up. Put your faith in Jesus Christ because the essence of Christ is the cross of Christ and that is what we know to be true. That it makes a difference in our lives. It leads us to peace. It leads us to significance.
So I want to challenge you today to go ahead and confess it. You know what, God? I've been kind of going my own way or doing my own thing or maybe just kind of adding a little bit of Jesus in here and there. I want to encourage you to ask Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, to live for him, to live for the cross like Paul says, to boast in nothing else but the cross of Christ, sacrificial, selfless love, laying down your life to accept that and see if that doesn't flip your world upside down. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us, you've given us Christ. The logic that has come down out of heaven and that if we proclaim you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of our lives, you will bring us significance and meaning and peace and joy. Help us, Lord to focus on what works, what is proven to be true, and to fix our thoughts there. I ask that you bless all those who are making that commitment, that decision right now to follow you. In Christ's name, amen.